Hey, everybody. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you're joining from today. My name is Jason Brand. I'm the Director of Outreach and Partner Development here at Supply Chain Solutions. And if you're a returning viewer, big thanks for joining our show again today. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for joining us as well. I represent Supply Chain Solutions, and we provide our customers with a truly one-stop shop for your logistics needs. So that includes end-to-end -end services to more than 160 countries that we deliver to and from each year, and not to mention our expansive warehouse network and our integrated technology solutions, which bundle our transportation management, our inventory management, our document management, and our data management tools onto one customized system that's designed for you and your teams. So on this show, we break down the domestic and international freight market. We do this every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. But to get a little bit more granular, bi-monthly, we do a lane-by-lane -lane breakdown. And by bi-monthly, by the way, by the way, by the way, sometimes I hear this and I, I just kind of mess this up. It's actually every other week. <laughs> so bi-weekly. So uh, bi-weekly, we break down our freight market by a lane-by-lane -lane basis. We talk about current events happening across the board. It's a great show. Um, that happened last week. It's going to happen again next week. These weeks in between, we have guests join us or we take a deep dive into specific topics. And that's what we're doing today. We're taking a deep dive in a hard look at the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. And we really want to help people understand who they are, you know, why they're relevant and what's going on with them. Um, I've got to be honest, there is so much information going on. And quite frankly, specifically in the yellow department, if you've heard anything about this, I'll touch on it briefly. But so much has happened literally today with the Teamsters in yellow that um, I'm going to actually have part of the show happen next week. So I can give you a nice, clear cut, great idea of what's happening with them. Um, more start to finish because it was kind of start to interim. But that's also the same way with UPS right now. And I'll discuss that. But I think there's a couple important things you need to understand. And, um, you know, firstly, if you haven't been, if you don't know about what's going on with UPS and you don't know about what's going on with Yellow, you know, it, what's hitting the airwaves right now is this UPS contract renewal. And the thing is, it's likely going to end in a strike. But also with the Yellow side, it's a restructuring of Yellow's operations that kind of was pushed through in an aggressive manner. And that's what started this recent kind of tiff between them, which is much more than a tiff at this point. Um, so something to know about the Teamsters is that they represent a very highly diverse range of workers. They're across many industries. They've got members that include everyone from truck drivers to airplane pilots to warehouse workers, police officers, nurses, public defenders, really, you name it. And the events happening here today, they're very focused on our realm. So we're talking about parcel, we're talking about less than truckload. But what happens as the result of these things going on right now that will come to a head here in the next couple of weeks will set some precedents that we're going to have to deal with not only in our industry, but likely in other industries as well. So let's take a step back. Let's take a step very far back. We're going to go to 1903. We're going to discuss who are the Teamsters. So if you look around online and you try to figure out the level of clout the Teamsters have in comparison to other unions, you're likely going to see the line saying America's largest union. That is not true, but they are massive and they have a ton of clout and they've totally shaped history. So despite that being a quite frankly, blatantly false line, which you'll see all of the time, it's, it's actually shocking how much it's said, but it's just wrong. It is a, um, they have a ton of clout and when they come to the negotiation table, it is very challenging. So 
Back in 1903, the Teamsters, they were born out of the chaos that was the Industrial Revolution. So if you look at this, at the turn of the 20th century, the name Teamsters, it comes from this idea of the horse-drawn wagon drivers, and they were team drivers. So they formed the union's initial membership. These team drivers, they're responsible for delivering goods across just urban landscapes. And uh, they faced a bunch of challenges. And obviously, at the Industrial Revolution, there was a different labor environment. So low wages, long hours dangerous working conditions, just to name a couple things. Now, this was happening to a lot of individuals across the board. So not only one organization or this union was formed, there was multiple. Um, and they actually kind of were a rivalry. There was the Team Drivers International Union, and then there was the Teamsters National Union. So ultimately, that year, 1903, they put aside their differences. They came together and they became what is now known as today the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Um, the first president was Cornelius Shea, and he basically led this new merged organization through its early years, and he set the groundwork. So he sent, he put together a central governing structure, and he uh, put together kind of a membership program to try to grow the power and the clout of this um, union. So let's fast forward. 1934, we're right in this great depressionary kind of post period, the Teamsters Union, they orchestrated one of the most significant labor strikes in American history. So this happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And there was a lot of resistance. It came from local police, the National Guard. But really, this is a notable event because it came as a success for unions and labor labor uh, movements abroad. So this, this success, though, in 1934 kind of paved the way for a, um, a piece of legislature called the National Labor Relations Act, which came through in 1935, and it protected workers' rights to join unions and go through this collective bargaining process. Now, we follow this instance with kind of a negative period with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and um, this is really a pretty large period between 1933 and 1957. So um, Daniel Tobin, he was the leadership. He served as president from 1907 all the way up to 1952. And he, he actually was a big part in massively growing their membership um, well beyond team drivers. And this obviously, as we had more technology coming out, began to include truck drivers, but also workers from other industries. But by, uh, in, excuse me, by the 1940s, they had become really the largest and most influential labor union in the U.S. The problem is they had a lot of corruption in their ranks, and there was a lot of ties to the mafia and other establishment, um, particularly under the leadership of another gentleman named Dave Beck. There was a lot of financial issues that came out of this. There was misconduct. There was embezzlement. And it, it almost was starting to look like unions might not have a long history at this point. But, you know, then you had... Then you had Jimmy Hoffa enter. So he was the general president. He started around 1957, and he's definitely the most well-known president. I, I, we've all heard his name. Even if you weren't in this industry, I'm sure you've heard of Jimmy Hoffa. Um, but yeah, he's a very well-known figure in the Teamsters history. So Hoffa, he dramatically expanded the union's power and influence, and he did this Again, through that core idea of growing membership. So he was able to grow the membership to over 2 million by the 1960s, which actually is a fun fact, is higher than it is today. Um, Hoffa, he was just instrumental in establishing these industry-wide contracts. He called them, or they were actually coined the name, National Master Freight Agreements. And this really kind of started to set these standards for wages and working conditions across the board for its members. So 
unfortunately, you know, Hoffa was born out of a lot of controversy that was happening in the organization, and uh, it seemed to continue. He also was seen to, you know, have some issues with bribery and fraud and tampering with evidence. He was actually put in prison and he resigned uh, from his position in 1971. And then he mysteriously disappeared. It's actually like a little lore subject. Where did he go? Uh, but he disappeared in 1975 and nobody really knows. Now, if we kind of look at the uh, the period following Jimmy Hoffa, you have kind of a little uh, a little bit of a calm era. And then he had around 1989. And this is, you can almost coin this the federal oversight period. So there was a lot of investigations into some of the corruption and the link to organized crime. And the Teamsters were placed under this federal oversight. So the idea was to cleanse the union of the mafia, mafia connections and make sure it was this democratic process where, you know, individual members were really at the helm and it wasn't these organized crime organizations. So you know, there's been a lot that's occurred. I think the Hoffa period was critical. It was almost, it it, it took him out of uh, almost uh, setting a bad precedent for unions in general, but at the same time, it still had some tarnishing effects on the reputation. Now, they have become incredib incredibly powerful still. Obviously, they're not at that 2 million point anymore. Um, the last number I remember was 1.4 million, and that was just prior to the pandemic. I uh, There does seem to be some evidence that their uh, membership actually did increase during the pandemic, but I've got to double check that, so don't quote me on that one. But I do want to switch gears because I want to talk about some of the events that led up to what's happening at UPS in yellow. And just as a little bit of a note, we have talked about some of the labor negotiations on this show before. And actually, you know, if I really think about it, quite frankly, if we look over the past 12 months, we've gone through so many labor negotiations that we've discussed on this show. And Anthony and I really try to have a an eye that is unbiased. It can be challenging because we are representing the shippers. And so we are kind of on one side of that equation, but we've seen a lot of changes happen in a lot of areas. Obviously the ILWU situation, we had the um, railroad union that they're going through their process. And um, this year we still have a ton of other unions that we are going to be seeing go through their, you know, hopefully they can they can come to some agreements um, and not to mention anything that's been happening in Europe, because across Europe, there's also been union negotiations happening in most major sectors and also in a lot of the countries as well. It's been a really during the pandemic, it was a really tough time for all this and coming out of it and still having this kind of pendulum swing that occurred during the pandemic of having massive amounts of demand and extremely high freight rates and then rising costs now swinging back to that absence of demand, you know, trying to control inflation, but just now kind of at the need to endure period, it's a very challenging time for companies and employees to go through these contract negotiations, particularly under these um, five-year periods. It's almost would make more sense to do shorter periods, but every one of these contract negotiations is so challenging. And it's, you know, if we look at the ILWU, just to step aside again, that was supposed to be figured out last year and in the middle of summer, and it just came to a tentative point and it had it's plenty of bruises. But the reason why I bring up the ILWU is there are some key differences we have seen between other labor negotiations and the Teamsters. And the really big difference is the way the Teamsters use media. So 
Negotiations with the ILWU, they remain incredibly quiet. They do have their occasional flare-ups. We saw that. There was also things they hit the news about issues because they, they cover a wide range of area and some of those areas don't feel heard. But still, despite that, the ILWU, very quiet negotiations, challengingly quiet when trying to update customers on what the potential outcome is. The Teamsters, on the other hand, they use the media generally as a weapon. And um, and I don't want to, that's a very, very loaded word. So I apologize for that. But they they use the media. They use it to their advantage. And the obvious dilemma with that is if you're trying to paint an accurate picture of what's going on, and if you're really trying to help people understand how things are actually unfolding and you're trying to be unbiased, if one side is using the media really aggressively, you're going to have unbiased information because they're controlling the narrative at that point. And that is truly what happens in these negotiations. They're really good at it. Um, if you go back through the past 20 years, it happens a lot. Most of the stuff you see really paints this um, picture that, you know, they're just being beaten down by their employer. Um, obviously afterwards, what's great is you have some, you know, some breakdowns that kind of help you, but still while it's going on, they're really good, really good with using media. Now, this circumstance may be a little bit different, but let's quick take a step back. So both UPS and yellow, they've had some pretty interesting timelines. Let's first talk about what's happened with yellow in the past. So yellow's last contract renewal, this happened in 2019. Actually, it started in late 2018. Apologize, I have a little bit of liquid. So the contract negotiation process, it began with Yellow and the Teamsters. Um, both sides, they prepared their proposals. It's, you know, typically, and this is very, very similar, typically centered around wages, benefits, worker conditions, and job security. So this started in late 2018. They prepared their proposals early 19. They're kind of coming together. And then March of 2019, they, they had been well into those negotiations. They actually, by March, reached a tentative negotiation, which, or, excuse me, tentative agreement, which is way better than what we've seen from any of the other unions. But remember, this is pre-pandemic. So things were growing at a little bit more of a steady rate, not as much of a bumpy road, a little bit easier for those negotiations, particularly in this realm versus like an ILWU realm. Now, by April of 2019, the Teamsters announced that its members had voted to approve the contract, and the contract was actually accepted by 60% um, a majority of the, the YRC Teamsters, So, and that's out of everyone who voted. So the new contract, it covered around 24,000 associates at Yellow, at Holland, and also at New Penn. Um, the contract also contained a bunch of provisions. So there was an 18% wage increase over five years for the workers. It maintained the current health and welfare benefits. It also secured pension benefits. It protected job security and it introduced, it introduced restrictions around subcontracting work. Now, this all sounds fine and dandy. Unfortunately, with all of these negotiations, there are controversies and, um, you know, as, as, smooth as that one went, there still was controversy. So there was reports. A lot of the Teamster members felt like the contract was just very surface level, didn't go far enough. And they also, in previous contracts, had included some pretty substantial concessions from the union to help Yellow stay afloat during tough financial times. And you should actually put a little... Uh, underlined under that because that is what's going on today is still hearkening back to this same complaint from 2019. So 
the members in the 2019 negotiations were hoping to kind of gain some of that ground back that they lost in previous years through these concessions, and they didn't. Um, specifically, you know, even though it was an 18% wage increase, they cite that it should have been higher if you looked at the long term, and also same goes for benefits. Critics, they also argued that the voting process was very rushed, and many of the union members didn't have enough time to fully understand the implications of their contract before voting. The ratification of the contract, it also brought up some more controversy. So, and this became, you know, issues with the internal politics of the union. There were different factions having different views. And, you know, in general, the just the deal in general didn't seem to be sitting as well as it should have across the board, especially given how easily it was passed. Now, with that being said, as I mentioned, you know, a majority of Teamster members did vote in favor of it. It did go into effect. Now, that was Yellow's contract negotiation, and they are going through at this moment something extremely dramatic, and it's it's very challenging working with the Teamsters going through what's currently trying to be a very rapid change to their network, um, or COO, a change of current operations. Or I'm going to have to get back to you on that acronym. <laughs> I wrote it down so much, and then I forgot <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about UPS. So UPS had a very different flavor to their negotiations. And what I find extremely interesting about this is the UPS negotiation happened before the yellow negotiation, yet the yellow negotiation went better than the UPS negotiation. So early 2018, um, the negotiations between the Teamsters and UPS started. Uh, the existing contract was due to expire in the summer of 2018, which was July 31st, 2018. For UPS, it covers 260,000 workers. It's actually one of the largest collective bargaining agreements with a single organization within the U.S. And, um, you know, by a little bit later in the summer of 2018, there was a lot of issues that were emerging, a lot of points of contention, uh, the low starting pay for part-timers. This has actually been an issue for them a long time. If you think about this with parcel services, Less business to business, but obviously more business to consumer. You've got our peaks during the year and a ton of part-time associates come in and then they're very part-time, very temporary, and they also leave. So the union for a very long period of time has been focusing on trying to increase the wages of part-time associates, um, but also find more means to get them hired in as full-time associates following. It, it is a challenge in our industry, that being said, because we just have such a peak season, particularly in the business to consumer realm. So, you know, obviously that's we kind of err on the side of UPS with that. It's challenging to kind of meet those demands and then see a totally different environment just a month later. Now, um, you know, a lot of things broke down, though. It, there was these issues, right, that low starting pay for the part timers. There was the threats to the pensions. There was the subcontracting um, and the threats of some subcontracting increasing that. And also this is back when Sunday deliveries were on the table and um, how that was going to affect driver roles and such. So a little bit later in summer of 2018, the Teamsters Union and the UPS, they continued the negotiations and they actually signed a contract extension. Um, which is great. We haven't seen that happen actually lately. Normally it's just a fight or we're not going to sign a contract extension, but they did. They extended the current contract and then come to August, there was an agreement in principle. So the, the proposed agreement, it included wage increases in the creation of 5,000 new full-time jobs over the life of the contract and also maintaining those health and wellness benefits. Now, 
Ballots for the new agreements, they were mailed to UPS employees. And this is where a lot of the complaints around this negotiation kind of um, started to stem from. So a lot of the members felt like they got the ballots late. They didn't have enough time to break it down. It was set up in a way where it's incredibly complex. And the next thing you know, voting is closed. It was September to October. And really, the issue that happened here is the contract that was laid out and also the voting method that was sent out, it actually kind of it kind of messed with the Teamsters way of ratifying these contracts. So it turns out a majority of the UPS Teamsters actually voted no. But due to the low amount of votes, they weren't able to actually reject the contract. It required a two-thirds majority to reject a contract. If less than half of the members vote. So the contract was actually ratified by the Teamsters leadership. And this is this is really where the dilemma happened. So back in 2018, a contract was pushed through only because of the low t- voter turnout. Now, despite that, it obviously it went into effect. And you can kind of imagine the sour taste that the Teamsters have in their mouth against UPS. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the situation going on today with yellow. It is unfolding right now. I'm not even joking. Literally from um, around 7 a.m. this morning to right before when the show began, we had a series of things occur. So I really don't want to talk about that too much. I do have a couple little things I'd like to mention before I dive right into UPS and kind of what's happening now. But, you know, really, if we fast forward to early of May this year, yellow, less than truckload carrier, they were consolidating the terminals on their Western network. And the goal was to consolidate 20 of their terminals and close nine of them. Um, This happened very abruptly. And they basically just said they were going to do this. They fired a letter over the Teamsters and and also the negotiating group saying that, hey, you know, it's May. We want to meet by June and we want to implement this by July. They did everything they needed to. They provided the notification in accordance with that, you know, that I mentioned earlier, the master freight agreement, that national master freight agreement documents. And yeah, but if you move forward, you start to see that there's a really ugly unfolding here and that the Teamsters do not agree with these changes and yellow seemingly needs these changes. So we'll get back to that a little bit more next week. What's happening at UPS is quite frankly, the opposite. So versus a lot of changes happening in a very short period of time and things actually moving. Um, UPS is kind of stuck in a stalemate at the moment. So they haven't reached this tentative agreement with the Teamsters on their next national contract. And the union, instead of agreeing to a contract extension because they didn't really agree with the last contract, they've said, no, we are going to see the increases we need. We felt like the last contract was completely not in line with our expectations. So as a result, there will be no contract extension and we will strike on July 31st if we don't have a tentative agreement signed. The problem here is the difference between UPS and the Teamsters is it's a massive gap. So for part-time employees, it's around a six to $7 an hour wage difference, but that same thing is also applying to long-term employees. And you know, there's a number of other things, but UPS specifically when it came to wages, they fired back, they posted a website and it said, you know, fast facts on UPS and they were touting their wages. They were saying, you know, like, hey, we have industry leading rates. You should see this. You should compare what you're getting paid because you'll get paid better at UPS essentially. And they, they kind of announced that they're, you know, they're paying their 
delivery drivers, $95,000 a year. Um, their local tractor trailer drivers, $112,000 a year. And then also all their employees receive $50,000 in health and welfare and pension contributions. So despite that, the Teamsters are really digging in their heels on this needed wage increases. And they kind of highlighted a couple different areas that are just negotiation points that need to be passed in order for them to get to a point where they won't strike. Um, and that comes up to catch up with what they're calling catch up raises for part-time employees. Also, they want to see additional holiday hours and more paid time off. They want additional pension increases. They want enhanced health care and, we and welfare benefits beyond what UPS is offering. And there's actually a couple more very specific items that um, they're also needing to see changed if they do not want to strike. So from our point of view, you need to expect that UPS is going to go on a strike. Um, I think when you look at the history of their relationship, and obviously it really is all centered around that last contract negotiation, the union is feeling like they have dealt with a bad contract for you know, since 2018. And now at this point, they are, they've been waiting for this moment to kind of increase this. Given everything that happened during the pandemic, also, there's a lot more ammunition to be had for some of these changes. But, you know, the flip side of this is it's a very challenging time to be a LTL or parcel shipper. We are seeing a complete softening of demand across the market. And, um, you know, you're seeing this with FedEx, they were retiring freighters, and they've got plans to retire substantial more. Um, in next year. And obviously with yellow, you're seeing this total change of operations and kind of trying to consolidate some of their groups together to save money. Um, what we're seeing across um, inventory networks is that inventory is going down. People aren't restocking and they're trying to get rid of their current inventory. I mean, demand is definitely lower than it was in the past. And we did expect this. We kind of discussed this. This needed to be a reset year. And so, you know, that's occurring. So if you think about it from a shipper's point of view, Having an aggressive rate hike in a year where there isn't much demand, and there's a lot of competition now in this realm, obviously you've got the big players, but you also have a lot of smaller and local players that can service some of these businesses. It's going to be really tough for UPS to sell that. Uh, FedEx has got a period right now where you can try to get into their network. They're going to see if that's possible. But really the best thing you can do is if you're shipping UPS at this moment, you got to contact your logistics provider. You've got to work with your logistics department. You've got to work with us and you've got to figure out what are your options. You've got to understand your network and maybe see if you can go to some local carriers because right now it's not looking great. It's really looking like the chance of a strike is pretty high. Um, so yeah, that's kind of our two cents right now on the UPS situation. It is likely going to happen. We're already helping a lot of customers um, just kind of have a backup plan, at least for the interim. Um, some of them are even looking for more permanent solutions. So make sure you contact us if you are in this boat, because again, you know, unfortunately, this is not just a post-pandemic thing. This is a multiple year undertaking that's come to this pivotal point. Now, what's going on with yellow, though, I really can't wait to break this down because there's a lot of really interesting changes that yellow is trying to kind of move through. And, you know, we we definitely sympathize with them um, working with customers directly and seeing how they had to make some pretty big changes to their strategy just over the course of this year so far. It's been fascinating. And we obviously root them on when they're able to you know, make a success out of it. Uh, in these carrier situations, it can be tougher, right? So we'll discuss that a little bit more next week. Thank you so much for joining. Um, 
Anthony is, was not able to be with us today, but he uh, he was super sad. He sent me a bunch of extra things. He's like, oh, make sure you mention this. Make sure you mention this. So, But he'll be with us next week, and um, we're going to be going through the freight market roundup. We're going to go through a shortened version, and then we're also going to discuss yellow next week. So thanks again. I hope you learned something. There is a lot of history here, and um, unfortunately, with this UPS situation, it's not looking good if you're shipping them. Talk to you next week.